0: Thank you, man. you. love you. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Kenny. it It's a privilege. It, it really is a privilege to be the pastor here, to be a shepherd along with fellow shepherds under Jesus Christ over an awesome church with men who are willing to Lay it all on the line for Jesus Christ. It, it is without apology, as Pastor Kenny sh- shared, that we want to focus on men. We want to love men. We want to call men to be servant leaders, servants of their wives, servants of their children, of their neighbors and co-workers, of this church, of culture, of this world. Because the only hope of this world is Jesus Christ. And the only hope that this world will hear of Jesus Christ is when transformed men lead transformed families that create a transformed church that can transform the world. Amen? Amen. Um, And I just have to tell you, it is a great joy and privilege to work with what I I really believe the the most awesome staff anywhere. We've got the best men's pastor of any church in the country, and Pastor Kenny, thank you so much for serving here, brother. And I've said it before, and I'm going to tell you again, when you look up man in the dictionary, Pastor Greg Monk's picture is right next to it. Thank you so much for being my partner over all these years, brother. You know, it's amazing to me. I was talking to Pastor Kenny about this. It's amazing to me that I have people here in our community, and when I speak uh, in, in different places, ask me why our church puts such an attention on reaching men. It's odd to me that that question would come up, and yet it comes up over and over again. And unfortunately, it comes up in in the relationship to, to think that because we put a focus on reaching men, that for some reason we don't care about women or we don't care about children. But as Pastor Kenny said, the very reason we want to reach men is the best gift we can give to women and children and to our culture is a transformed man. And in fact, that's what God's Word says God's Word makes it so clear that when God wants to do something in His his nation, in His people, and in the world, He calls out a man. And that's exactly what happens in Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 22. I want to read God's Word. Could we all just stand as I read the Word of God? This is from Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 29 to 31. The people of the land have practiced oppression and committed robbery. They've wronged the poor and the needy. And they've oppressed the sojourner without justice. So I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall, stand in the gap before me for the land, so that I would not destroy it. But I found no one. Thus I have poured out my indignation on them. I've consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their way I have brought upon their heads, declares the Lord God. Father, I pray that your word would come alive to us. And that we'd see in your word the hope of salvation so that we wouldn't receive judgment. The hope of forgiveness. The hope of mercy. The hope of Jesus Christ. I pray that every person here, as we sang and worshipped earlier, would come to you based upon the blood of Jesus Christ and be forgiven and cleansed and, and be transformed. But I pray the word would speak to us powerfully that you are a God who is holy, you are a God who is the judge, but you're also a God who's the redeemer and the God who's the savior. Lord, may you be glorified, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. This passage tells us that in the backdrop of brokenness, rebellion, and sin, God looks for a man. You see, in Ezekiel chapter 22, there is a a description of ancient Israel, and it's very similar to modern America. And in this description, God lays out what were actually the sins of his people, and the, and the vulnerability that, that their sins had made, not only to their enemies, but also to the judgment of God. And let me tell you, I was just thinking about this as, as, as I was worshiping. God is glorified. God is always glorified. God is glorified in judgment, and God is glorified in salvation. God is glorified in judgment, and God is glorified in salva- salvation. Wouldn't you rather experience the salvation of God Wouldn't you rather that our culture experiences the salvation of God? Wouldn't you rather that people experience the salvation of God? That's the warning that he's given here in Ezekiel chapter 22. Because he says that the wall has been broken down. There's been a breach. The enemies are coming through. And the people of God are blinded by their own selfishness. And they're not only going to be invaded by, by their enemies. They're going to be vulnerable to the very judgment of God. The God who loves them. And chose them and wants to bless them. And so God says, I look for one guy, one man who will stand in a gap. Because one man can change the world. I know that from the Word of God, and I also know that from Big Sean, the hip-hop artist. In his popular song, he says, they used to tell me, I hope you learn to make it your own. And if you love yourself, just know you'll never be alone. I hope that you get everything you want and all that you choose. I hope that it's the realest thing that you ever know. I hope you get the pretty girls. That's pretty and everything. Million dollar cribs having million dollar dreams. And when you get it all, just remember one thing. Remember one thing. One man can change the world. One man can change the world. Our culture knows that. God says, I looked for one man who would stand in the gap. One man who would intercede between me and the people. One man who would rebuild the walls. Paul, uh, uh, excuse me, Ezekiel says here in this passage that that one man could make the difference and that one man could change the world. Ezekiel's writing here to the people of Judah, the people of Jerusalem. He starts writing when Babylon has invaded uh, the land and has taken off the the young men into captivity. We we know from history that the, the invasion of Babylon took place over three sieges. They came in and attacked the walls, they took the young men away. They came in and attacked the city, and they took the people away. They came in for a third time and destroyed the temple. Over a period of 20 years, Ezekiel makes prophecies to the people of God and to the surrounding nations. And in Ezekiel 22, he recounts the very sins of the people that occasioned their judgment from the surrounding nation and the potential judgment from God himself. And he says in Ezekiel 22 that there was violence, there was idolatry, there was political and economic corruption, there was a breakdown in the family, there was injustice towards the foreigner and the orphan and the widow, there was a despising of that which is holy, there was immorality and and economic extortion, the people forgot God and blasphemed God, the religious leaders were corrupt and failed to deliver the true message of God. The political leaders were were corrupt and led the people into immorality and idolatry. And the common people were corrupt and there was inhumanity towards their their fellow human beings and there was materialistic and violent-driven behavior. Ancient Israel was not that much different from modern America. And God said then, and God is saying now, "I, I look for a man who will stand in the gap, who will build up the wall, who will intercede before me and before the people. It's like in the movie 300, where the Persians are invading Greece, and in order to get to the people, to take over the nation, they have to come through a narrow pass. And so 300 Spartans go up and they literally stand in the gap. They stand in that path. They sacrifice their lives. They intercede for the whole nation. And as a result, the whole nation of Greek uh, Greece was, uh, was victorious and spared from the invasion of the Persians. God says that there's a wall of his protection. There's a wall of his grace. There's a wall of his presence. But there's a breach in the wall. And in that breach and in that gap, the enemy can come through. And so he needs someone who will stand in the gap, who will rebuild the wall to protect the people. He looks for someone. He looks for a man. He looks looks for gap standers. Today, in this church, right now, in this service, God is looking over the company of men and looking for a man who will stand in a gap. Can you imagine what would happen if not just one man, but a company of men, a whole church full of men said, yes, here am I, send me. They took up their cross, they denied themselves, they followed Jesus, they put on the full armor of God, they were armed with the very compassion and love of God, and they stood in the gap. You see, we, we need men who will stand in a gap for a broken culture. We need men who will stand in a gap for broken families. We need men who will stand in a gap for sex trafficking. We need men who will stand in a gap for team suicide. We need men who will stand in a gap for the opioid crisis. We need men who will stand in a gap for the widow. Men who will stand in a gap for the poor. Men who will stand in a gap for the marginalized. We need men who will stand in a gap for lost people. God is saying, will you stand in the gap Will you stand in a gap? Will you allow that, that energy that's beating inside your chest right now, men? will you allow that to lead you to holy action? To stand up for Jesus Christ? To be God's appointed representative to this generation, to your family, to your neighborhood, to this church. Stand in a gap. God says this, gap standers recognize their divine call. They recognize their divine call because God is the one who's searching. God says, I looked for a man. And too many of us are just like Adam in the garden. We're hiding. God's saying, where are you? And we're hiding. God is looking for men. And those who say yes recognize their divine call. In Ezekiel chapter 1 and 2 Ezekiel comments where he was the exact time it says in Ezekiel chapter 1 he was by this river and God presented himself to him and he saw a vision of the Lord and he fell down and the spirit of the Lord came within him and God spoke to him and says I'm appointing you son of man to preach to my people in Exodus chapter 3 it describes how Moses was out in the wilderness and he saw a burning bush and God spoke to him and he called him to be the man in Isaiah chapter 6, it says that Isaiah saw a vision of the Lord, and he heard the angels singing, holy, holy, holy. And God called him, and, and he said, here am I. Send me. In, in Acts chapter 9, the apostle Paul recounts on several occasions how he was actually running in the opposite direction. Maybe you're here because you were, you were dragged here by your wife, guys. Or you were dragged here by your kids because they're involved in our children's program. And the last thing on your mind is being a representative of Jesus Christ. You'd be just like the Apostle Paul, the greatest Christian who ever lived. He was moving in the opposite direction. And the resurrected Jesus Christ appeared to him, and he fell down before him and said, Who are you, Lord? And Jesus revealed to him that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but by, by him. And, and he raised him up, and he appointed him to be the greatest representative of Jesus Christ that ever lived. God calls men to stand in a gap. And every man who has said yes to that call has said yes because they heard the voice of God. And let me tell you something, that's just not for the super saints. It's not for just guys like Isaiah and Ezekiel and the Apostle Paul and Martin Luther and Billy Graham. Because if you've heard the gospel, you've been called. If you've heard the gospel, you've been called. If you've heard that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior, you've been called. If you heard that Jesus died for your sins, you've been called. If you heard that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you've been called. If you've heard John 3.16, that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life, you've been called. God's call is for anyone and everyone who would say yes. And so when God looked at Israel, and he looked for a man, he looked over everyone. And he found no one. Would that not be true in our generation? Would that not be true in our church? Would that not be true with me? God calls men. Gap recognize their divine call. Here's the second thing about gap standers, that They know that God is their audience. They know that God is their audience. Uh, you see, this is what Ezekiel said about himself. He said, I, I saw the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. This is in Ezekiel 1 and 2. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of God speaking. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me, and he said, Son of man, I am sending you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels. They've rebelled against me. They and their fathers, they've transgressed against me, even to this very day. The descendants are stubborn. I send you to them and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear you or refuse to hear for their rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among you. You shall speak my words to them and whether they hear you or refuse to hear, I am sending you, O son of man. Did you catch that? God says, listen, you're going to a people that's a tough sell. They're a tough audience. It's like preaching to the wax museum believe me, I know what that's like sometimes. Hello? Is anybody out there? He says, whether they listen or don't listen, you share with them my words because I'm sending you. You know, you know who Ezekiel's real audience was? It wasn't the people of Israel. You know who his real audience was? God. You know who your audience is? God, at the end of the day, it's not your neighbor, it's not your boss, it's not your coworker, it's not the person sitting next to you in church. They're not going to judge you. At the end of the day, you know all of us, we're going to stand before God. And he himself will render a verdict about our lives. God is our audience. God is the one that we're to please. God is the one who's called us. God is the one who's given us a message. God is the one who holds us accountable. That's why the apostle Paul said, as he wrote to the church at Thessaloniki over in 1 Thessalonians, he says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, Just as we've been entrusted by God with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. See, right now, I'm speaking a message. And, and, you know, I'm human I, I want you to like what I have to say. I, I, I want you to think I'm a good, good preacher. In fact, I'd love it if you thought, that guy's the best preacher I've ever heard. But do you know what? You're not my audience. And what you think about this sermon, good or bad, isn't determinative. God's my audience. God's the one who's looking at my heart. You know, I can fool people. Have you noticed that? You can put on a, a smiley face. You can put on a religious face. You can put on a holy face. You can make people think you're the right stuff. But God looks at our hearts. God knows every thought. God knows what's going on. God knows the confusion. God understands everything. God, it says in Psalm 103, he's mindful that we're but dust. He knows us. And he is our audience. And when God calls us men to men, the men who stand in a gap, whether people support us or don't support us, whether people agree with us or don't agree with us, whether people appreciate it or don't appreciate it, God is our audience because God's the one who's called us. Gap standers understand their divine call and gap standers understand their divine audience. Here's a third thing. Gap standers know what's at stake. See, the wall has been torn down. There's a breach. That's what God says in Ezekiel chapter 22. And judgment is coming. So as I told you, the wall in ancient Israel, it represented protection. It represented security. It represented God's presence. It represented God's blessing. And a gap in the wall, a breach in the wall, represented the opportunity for an enemy to invade and to wreak havoc. And God says, being aware that there's a breach and not doing anything about it, not only allows the enemy to come in, but you place yourself under God's judgment because you didn't do anything about the problem that you clearly saw existed. So gap standards, they understand what's at stake. Now think about it. God said this to Ancient Israel, at a time when they had prominence on earth, and the Babylonians were the greatest power on earth. Are the Babylonians the greatest power on earth right now? Simple history question. No! Do you know what happens to nations? They rise and they fall. They rise and they fall and they rise and they fall. We studied the Romans in their culture when we were in in school and we maybe studied the Babylonians, maybe we studied ancient Greece. I wonder if anybody's going to study us. I wonder if if God doesn't find anybody to stand in a gap and his judgment comes and America is just here for a while and then it's gone. And somebody will study us. And wonder, what were those people like back in the day? What did those preachers tell those people? I wonder if future generations of Christians will look back and wonder, why didn't any of those people stand in a gap? Why didn't they do something about all the judgment that came because they didn't do anything? See, God is glorified. He is glorified. He will either be glorified in salvation or he will be glorified in judgment. And God is saying, he's he's being so clear here in Ezekiel chapter 22. He said, listen, the, the wall has been broken down. There's a breach. I'm looking for somebody who will rebuild the wall. I'm looking for somebody who will intercede. I'm looking for someone who will stand in the gap so that not only will the enemy not be able to come in, but my judgment won't come. Gap standers understand what's at stake. You know what Paul said? The Apostle Paul said this in Romans chapter 2. There's coming a day when God will judge the secrets of men's hearts according to my gospel. And men will stand before God and try to defend themselves but will actually accuse themselves when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men's hearts. Paul wrote to the, or the, Paul spoke to the Athenians, and Luke wrote about it in Acts chapter uh, 16. My wife and I were just there on Mars Hill in Athens where the Apostle Paul stood and preached the gospel, and he eloquently describes the good news of salvation, and then he says, and God has appointed a day when he will judge everyone through one man, Jesus Christ, whom he raised from the dead. Did you know the Apostle Paul did not in any way, shape, or form, shy away from talking about the reality of judgment. When Paul was in prison and and ultimately made his appeal to Caesar, he was before a guy named Festus and a guy named Felix, and it says that they would want to listen to Paul, and it says Paul spoke to them about righteousness and holiness and the judgment to come. Well, I guess he didn't read how to win friends and influence people. No, there's a warning, you see. It wasn't that Paul wanted people to be judged. In fact, he wanted them not to be judged. But in order to get them not to be judged, he warned them about judgment. You know who spoke more about the reality of judgment? Of anybody? In the entire Bible. It wasn't Paul, and it wasn't Isaiah, and it wasn't Ezekiel. You know who spoke the most about about the reality of heaven and hell and judgment Jesus Christ Jesus Jesus spoke the most see gap standers they know what's at stake they know there's a divine call they know there's a divine audience and they know what's at stake and so gap standers they, they, they rebuild the walls. They're wall builders. They understand that because of the breach in the wall and because of the enemy and because of the possibility of judgment they want to rebuild the wall. They want to rebuild people. They want to rebuild marriages. They want to rebuild lives. They want to rebuild children. They want to rescue people. They want to help people. They want to shepherd people. They want to bring peace to people. They want to bring compassion to people. They want to bring joy to people. They want to bring deliverance to people because they're rebuilders. That's what it means to stand in the gap. You can not stand in a gap unless you have a broken heart with the things that break God's heart. And it breaks God's heart to see marriages crumble. It breaks God's heart to see children run away from home. It breaks God's heart to see suicide. It breaks God's heart to see people addicted to drugs. It breaks God's heart when sin affects people's lives. Sin and death are not part of God's original creation. It's part of the world we live in. But, but we're not in the garden anymore. And it's not part of the world that's come. I mean, in heaven, there isn't going to be any death. There isn't going to be any fear. There isn't going to be any pain. There, there isn't going to be any tears. There going to be any cancer. There going to be any divorce. There isn't going to be any heartache. But now we live in a fallen world. And the wall has been breached. And when men stand in a gap, they bring the hope of heaven to earth. Isaiah describes the ministry of gapstanders in Isaiah chapter 58. He says, I'm calling you to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor with shelter, to see the naked and to clothe them. I'm calling you to shine your light in the darkness and your righteousness in the furthest places. I'm calling you to have the glory of the Lord be your rear guard so that when you call, I will answer. And when you ask for help, I will say, here am I. And if you do away with the yoke of oppression... And if you stop the pointing of the finger and if you do away with malicious talk and if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and if you satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. You will be strengthened in your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ruins and you will raise up the old foundations if you rebuild the wall and stand in a gap. God's looking for men who have humble hearts, who love God more than they love sin, and who'll do whatever it takes to be God's man and rebuild the wall and intercede for the people. God is looking for men who will rebuild broken lives and rebuild broken culture. I was with Pastor Kenny who led our men yesterday in in a march for freedom to say no more sex trafficking, not in our generation. And taking the lead from what Pastor Kenny has said, I had someone come up and ask me, why why are you men here doing this? Because it was mostly women. But the men of our church were there. And I said, because men are the problem. And they kind of looked at me shocked. I said, if you have transformed men, you'll no longer have a sex trafficking trade. And then I said, and only Jesus Christ can transform a man. And Jesus has transformed my life, so I'm standing here with my brothers, to say, we're going to stop. We're going to stop this sex trafficking trade in our generation. We're going to march for freedom. See, when a man is transformed and stands in the gap, his life has changed, his family's life has changed, his culture has changed, his church has changed, the world has changed when men stand in a gap. Women stand in the gap. One last thing, gap standers, they are interceders. They're interceders. See, God is looking for a man to stand in a gap, he says, who will stand before me and, and the people. That's what an intercessor does. They, they're, they're, they, they stand before me, so it's like, if, you wanna, if you're going to get to these people, you got to go through me. God's looking for men who'll stand up. Hey, you, devil, you want to get to my family? You got to go through me. Devil, you want to get to my church? You got to go through me. Devil, you want to get to my neighbor? You got to go through me. Devil, you want to get to the poor and the innocent and the and the orphan and the widow? You got to go through me. Devil, you want to get to this culture? You got to go through me. God is looking for men who'll stand in a gap. And and interceders, according to Ezekiel, they intercede by speaking the truth. Now, this is an uncomfortable message, and it gets even more uncomfortable for me as I preach Ezekiel 13. That's the backdrop for this, because this is what God said. "O people of Israel, your prophets, they're like jackals. They dig in the ruins. They've done nothing to prepare the break in the wall around the nation. They've not helped it to stand firm in the day of battle. Instead, your preachers have told you lies and made false predictions. They say, this message is from the Lord when the Lord never said it. And yet they expect him to fulfill their prophecies. Can your visions be anything but false if you claim this message is from the Lord when I've never spoken a word? This will happen because these evil prophets, they deceive my people when they say, peace, peace. When there is no peace. They've just built a flimsy wall, these prophets, and are trying to reinforce it with whitewash. Let me just give you a backstory of what God's talking about. There's a hole in the wall. There's a gap in the wall. And you can either just let that gap be where everyone can see it, or you can do this. You can take some plaster, not really rebuild it, but just kind of put a fake facade over it and then paint the whole thing and it all looks like it's a sturdy wall. But the enemy, they come up and test the wall and whenever they hit the, hit the plaster, guess what? It just breaks through. That's what false preachers do when they tell a message of peace when there's no peace. When they tell a message that God is totally okay with the way you're living when God isn't okay with the way people are living. When when preachers, say, when preachers say a message just to make people feel good rather than saying the truth. See, it's the truth that sets us free. That's what Jesus said. Not feel-good messages. It's, it's a responsibility to speak the truth even when the truth is uncomfortable, and even when the truth is not appreciated. So, that's us, men. We got to speak the truth. But it's not just us. It's all of us. Because we're all preachers to somebody. Maybe it's to our spouse or to our kids or to our neighbors or to a co-worker. And we got to speak the truth if we're going to stand in a gap the truth of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness, but also the truth of sin and judgment. Gap standers, they intercede by speaking the truth, and gap standers intercede by praying, by praying. It says in Psalm 106, talking about Moses, who was a gap stander, it says... God says about him, had Moses, my chosen one, not stood in the gap before me and pleaded with me to turn away my wrath, I would have destroyed you. See, the backstory story is, the children of Israel were in the desert. They'd sinned against God. God said, I'm gonna judge them because of their sin, which he was totally righteous and holy to do. And Moses stood there and said, Lord, yes, you're a judge and yes, you're righteous, but you're also loving and you're gracious and you're merciful and you're kind. Forgive your people. Forgive your people. In your holiness, forgive them. And in your righteousness, forgive them. And God said because of Moses' intercession, he spared his judgment from coming. We can stand in a gap for our families, for our neighbors, for our culture, for our church by praying and asking God to pour out mercy, not judgment. Asking God to forgive not condemn, asking God to show his grace and love, not his holiness and wrath. The Bible says this. I, I, I was praying about this coming, coming here this morning. You know, where you pray those prayers, where you, you, you pray for something and you know that God always answers his will, so you want to, well, what's the will of God? And this was the verse that popped into my mind. I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God says that. I'm not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. When we pray for someone to come to repentance, when we pray for someone to turn to God, when we pray for someone to be saved, we're praying according to God's will. God says in Ezekiel 22, I look for one guy who would speak the truth, build up the wall, have his heart broken with the things that break my heart, stand for the things I stand for, and pray for people. And I couldn't find anybody. What if if we offered to God, cross line, a whole church of men? A whole church of men who will stand in a gap a whole church of men that say, God, let it be me. Let it be me. One man can change the world. Father, I pray that you'd speak right now, not only to men, but to women, to young people, to children. Speak to all of us. Because you, you look for anyone who would say yes to you. I pray that you'd do a work in our lives. But I do pray especially for the men of our church, the men across line. That they be humble before you and let you be the lord of their lives. Let you transform their lives. May we be men who present ourselves as servants to you, and servants to our families and servants to our church and servants to our culture. May you never have to say Ezekiel 22.30 over Crossline Church. But instead, may you say, I looked for a man and I found a whole church full of them. Because they all said yes to me. And I pray that that might be so. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.